Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Congressman, obviously an issue, a significant issue in Texas for a long time is the border. Uh, Give us your assessment of where things stand now in the wake of Title 42 being repealed and what more, frankly, the Biden administration and the Congress need to do. Well, this is something that's been you know, frustrating to me for some time. My family's from Brownsville. Uh, my grandfather, after serving in the Navy, was a customs officer. Uh, and so to me, the border is not a place where you go for you know, a political backdrop. It's a place where real people live and where we have real problems. And across multiple administrations, we have not supported our border communities properly. That's regardless of, you know, there's flows that come and go, but those border communities deserve more help. But we also have had, and people like Ted Cruz, Folks who know that we should do something to reform our immigration system, to, yes, have border security as a main component of that, but also to make it easier to process folks, to meet the needs of our economy. And for 11 years now, the United States Senate, Ted Cruz has refused to do that. He just wants to go down and act like he's on a safari. A safari. This is, this is the argument being used by Representative Colin, Colin Allred. This is the, the, the argument that Ted Cruz, who he's going to run against for that Senate seat in Texas, is using the border as just a prop. For 11 years now, the United States Senate, Ted Cruz has refused to do that. He just wants to go down and act like he's on a safari at the border, pointing out what's happening. You're a United States senator. Pass a bill. Go do something about it. We know we have a framework in place from with President Obama and President Bush's terms where we had a bipartisan agreements around what we think it would look like. Uh, we have not been able to get that comprehensive reform yet. And that's the fault of Ted Cruz? If we're going to talk about the border as backdrop, the border as photo op, can we get Representative Ocasio-Cortez to go back and take a couple more pictures? I'm pretty sure something can end up on the cover of Vanity Fair, Right. This is a bad argument, bad argument that doesn't sell. The idea that no one's done anything about the border, that argument sells. But you're a member of Congress. Where's the legislation? Ted Cruz is the reason it's not happening? That dog won't hunt. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. Thrilled to be with you. UPS Teamsters authorizing the strike if there's no deal reached by August 1st. This is just breaking. This is all just coming out right now. This started as a conversation about how UPS drivers might go on strike. Well, really, I should say UPS in general. UPS goes on strike. There goes shipping in the U.S. You're going to rely on the United States Postal Service? That's just... That's just. (laughs) Hilarious. Hilarious indeed. So this is now officially a major league issue. Because you're talking about an effect on supply chain that's massive. So the Teamsters Union voted to authorize a strike. That vote was announced today. But this would still be in August. So there is time. We have six weeks, seven weeks, something like you got six, seven weeks 
to kind of get this wrapped up. I can't wait to see how Pete Buttigieg brings everybody together. (laughs) But don't deny that there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for Pete Buttigieg to come out the hero here. Now, I understand what you're saying. It's a union. It's a private company. UPS goes on strike, and you don't get your goods. The business you own doesn't get its goods. The business you shop at doesn't get its goods. It doesn't. Now, they had already come to some agreements on things. Did you know that UPS drivers don't have air conditioning in their trucks? OMG, are you kidding me right now? I am not. They don't have air conditioning in their trucks, and it just got agreed to that air conditioning would go into the trucks. UPS announcing Tuesday that it would add AAC to all U.S. small package delivery vehicles as part of its new heat safety agreement, and then they're going to be adding these heat shields. It reduces the temperature in the vehicle by up to 17 degrees, or is it on the vehicle and therefore it gets hot maybe it's maybe it's on the outside so you know movements being man you're like okay good by the way that is weird i did not know they didn't have ac i know they often have the doors open of course they've got the shorts but but i I didn't know they didn't have ac so you would think that if they're striking this deal that everyone's you know everything's moving along oh this could be really really bad It would be the largest strike against a single employer in U.S. history. And it has an effect on all of us. We are all affected. So watching this is going to matter greatly. This is part of an ongoing conversation that we have here. And I'm going to get to a bunch of these kinds of stories today. You know there's more going on in the world than Trump being indicted. There's more going on in the world. It's not the only thing. And part of the problem of of being in this world that that we're in, we get wrapped up in these top-line stories. We get wrapped up. I I shouldn't even say we, because we're actually pretty good at it. We fight these things aggressively by making sure we share the other stories. These stories dominate, though, in such a way, the ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN crowd, the other stories don't make their way through. And very often... Amongst, amongst the talk radio set, we aren't talking about all the things. A UPS strike is, is important. It, it, it affects our everyday lives. The indictment of Trump, with all due respect, doesn't. It doesn't affect our everyday life. What affects our everyday life is if Trump can get indicted, Trump can get charged, but somebody else, let's say their name is Joe or, or or Hillary, they can do something that's clearly unethical or against the law. Name me one. Hunter, I named you one. I can go from there. And that there's no investigation. There's no charges. That affects us in a huge way. But there's more than just this indictment story out there like for example the report that chinese scientists were first infected by covid which to us sounds like well 
Of course. You mean you mean they didn't know this? They didn't know this. How could you not? The data shows that when we talk about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, it had infected several Chinese scientists and accidentally escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So this is that U.S. government officials revealed that there's evidence that indicates this. So let's say again, the federal government is not stating for sure, for fact, that COVID came from a Wuhan lab. And if you listen to people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, there's absolutely nothing that shows it came from a Wuhan lab. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. But you and I live in the real world, and we know that things are just a wee bit different. Multiple government officials interviewed as part of an investigation by Public and Racket, a Substack newsletter called Public, identified patient zero, first infected by the virus, as Ben Hu, Yu Ping, and Yan Zhu. All were researchers of SARS-like viruses, as well as members of the Wuhan lab suspected to have leaked the virus that caused the pandemic. Again, I will state for the record that I do not believe that COVID was unleashed on the world as a way of engaging in attack. I believe because they're communists and they're schmucks, and of course they were working on gain-of-function research that the United States funded via the NIH through groups like EcoHealth Alliance. Fauci knew this, and then they tried to cover it up. That's my take based on the uh, information that's out there. That the that the virus leaked because they're not competent, because no communist nation is competent. That the virus leaked. And once they saw the leak and China saw that the leak was out there, they said, what should we do? Well, we should be a good corporate citizen uh, or, or global citizen, and we should go about, um, you know, telling everybody so they can be safe. And then someone said, yeah, but we're communists. Why don't we buy up all the PPE, the personal protective equipment around the globe, don't tell nobody nothing, and then, you know, however it spreads, it spreads. But we'll lock down our people, we'll be protected. And that's exactly what they did. And then some American useful idiot will tell me about how they have really cool high-speed rail and look at all the things they're doing in order to electrify this and get carbon emissions down. The worst polluters on the planet, and yet I have the American left telling me how great they are. F these people. I don't know if that was necessary, but certainly they're a problem. We funded the gain-of-function research, the ability to determine how, how these viruses can mutate, how, how they can create other options, and how they can build out in other ways. We funded it in Wuhan with clear enemies. The virus leaked because communists are morons, and then China said, oh, don't tell anybody who cares if they get hurt. That's what happened. 
And that's why China is guilty. And this is why I have been saying for years now, stop paying back the Chinese debt. We don't owe China anything. They steal intellectual property. They unleashed this virus on us when they could have been protective of the world. That's reason enough not to pay them. Don't tell me about the full faith and credit of the United States. Daddy doesn't want to hear it, kitten. We don't owe the communist Chinese anything. They owe us. And I think we should get paid. Now, if I can't get paid by them for the horrific acts of of lying and of theft, the very least I can do is get us paid by not paying back their debt. I have stated that what we should do with the debt is the money that we would pay back. Why don't we pay down and pay off all of the loan debt of nurses in the United States of America. Now, you could say to me, Tony, we just got paid on the national debt. You can't do that, although it's a nice sentiment. Okay, but I think it's more than nice sentiment. Now, I was saying this before the uh, political left and the elitists turned their back on nurses. Oh, you don't want to get vaccinated? I guess you're just okay with getting everybody killed then. The nurses put their lives on the line not knowing what COVID was going to do to them every single day of every single week of every single month of that year and a half before the political left and others turned their back on nurses and called them murderers and said, you got to fire this one and fire that one. And hospital groups said, hey, we don't care. We just get paid anyway. Do what we tell you to do or you're out. Yeah, we know you worked these ungodly hours. We know you watched horror upon horror. And we know you went home scared every night. But, you know, as long as we're getting paid, screw off, nurse. Do what we tell you to do. Take this jab or get out. That happened in the United States of America. I think we should pay off the debt of nurses. I've always thought that this is the answer. We need more nurses anyway. How about we pay uh, uh, people who are in nursing school? And pay off their debt so they can, you know, be nurses. And they don't have to go about chasing some of these transient dollars. And we can get nurses in places where we desperately need them. Seems to me like that's a good strategy. Seems to me like that would be a winner. Better than paying back the Chinese who lie and who steal. I... I am only stunned that this hasn't happened already. I don't know why we're not doing this already. It's beyond me. There are more stories out there than Trump and some indictment. The world is spinning. Got to keep that in focus. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. It's National Fudge Day. I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. Eat fudge. I, well, eat fudge is, is a, I mean, that's an answer for any day of the week. Have we got, have we now hit the, the moment of jumping the shark? National Fudge Day? Fudge is what you buy when you're hanging out in Pigeon Forge, right? Fudge is only an on-vacation thing. Nobody in their regular life is like, what should we get for the family for dessert tonight? I know, fudge. No one. 
Kylan. Kylan is uh, running things back at the shop today. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Have you ever in your life said, you know what I could go for right now? You know what I've got a hankering for? Fudge. I actually have. Yes. Not true. Yeah. No, it is true. When my grandma's over, we're walking around the town. We just stop at a fudge shop. It's a good little afternoon, sometimes evening, just a little get up and go. When. (laughs) Fudge. It's like Red Bull. Sampling Um, fudge, also a favorite. Gambling fudge? Sampling. Oh, Why sampling. am I gambling fudge? I, I, I didn't know what you said, and I, I also was curious, because I'd never I heard of gambling too. fudge, and all of a sudden I got interested. <laughs> but walking around with grandma, that's, I mean, I mean, your, your grandmother is, is lovely. I've, I've often said so. I think your grandmother's the best. Um, but you're, you're already in the old school place. You have never on your own said, hmm, fudge. That's, that's my point. That's my only point. National Fudge Day. The problem with fudge is that you can have a bite, and that's it. It's too much. Fudge is too much. That's the problem with fudge. And I am not anti-fudge. I'm only recognizing the limitations of fudge. I think you're having the wrong fudge. Personal opinion. Tell me where the right fudge is. I'll give you a list. You have a list of fudge places? <laughs> Not offhand, but I'll definitely send you one. My God, you've got free time. That's that's imp- that's impressive stuff right there. The music industry accusing Twitter of violating copyright law. It was filed in a Tennessee court saying that Twitter under Elon has been illegally sharing music and videos without a license. This comes from the National Music Publishers Association. They say that Twitter's illegal promotion of its music is unfair to the social media platform's competitors. The availability of videos with music, including copies of publishers' musical compositions, furthers Twitter's financial interest, both because it drives user engagement and thus advertising revenue, and because Twitter does not pay fees to license musical compositions. Um, I'm trying to think. If I, that's an interesting point. Now, look, it's always fascinating to me that the people who are most on the political left in that world of music and entertainment are the people who most want to utilize the Constitution and the concepts of copyright to make sure their money is protected. It is not lost on me the level of, oh, really, the irony that exists within that. But that's interesting. That that we would that a lot of groups like if you if I post stuff on YouTube and I've got bumper music in it, it will it will either silence that or it won't let me post it. Oh, that happens all the time. All the time if they think they're picking up music. I don't know if Twitter does that. And I and, and I would assume that figuring that out would be an automated process. Because the content could go through some level of filter. It could hear the music. I mean, if Shazam works, you can create the, the program and that'll be that. I don't know if they're I don't know if they're off base here. Now, if you tell me that copyright law goes um, far beyond protecting the original creator, as Elon Musk has stated, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but you'd have to now fight it. Twitter want to get into that lawsuit? I I can't imagine that they do.
There is a real economic weirdness happening. That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. I find some of the market talk confusing, and specifically the talk about how we think this economy is going. Because you and I both know, living on Midwest Main Street as we do, that things aren't great. That the Federal Reserve didn't raise interest rates doesn't mean that inflation still isn't high. And as we've discussed, the credit crunch is going to further increase interest rates because banks are doing less lending for fear that people cannot pay the money back. This led to a conversation with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, about the credit crunch, that banks are telling people like U.S. Auto Sales, which has a bunch of uh, used car dealerships in the Southeast, we won't lend you money to buy cars anymore because we don't think there's enough people out there to buy the cars because the interest rates are too high. And when banks go to lend groups like that money, they're going to charge a higher interest rate, which means a higher price for the car and there's less demand for the cars. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And then I came across this story. Retail sales rise 0.3% helped by stronger sales at auto dealers. And I lost my mind and I called Dr. Matt Will and I said, explain this. He joins us right now. Uh, He's on the road. Talk to me. This story doesn't make any sense. How are retail sales up when we just had this conversation about credit crunch while in the same breath, CNBC tells a story about how retailers are preparing for a discount-heavy down holiday season? Well, Tony, actually, everything you just said is consistent. But let me go back to, there's a whole bunch of ground to cover here. First, let me go back to the comments about the rate pause. If you notice, as soon as Jerome Powell announced the rate pause, the stock market went down and interest rates went up. Tony, that was a very clear indication that the market believes he's not acting responsibly. You and I know that market is an addict. They want those cheaper rates, but they also want him to control inflation. And when he announced, we're going to let inflation go a little bit, the market dropped and rates went up. So that's what happened last week. This report that just came out, though, this is a very interesting, there's so many aspects to it. I don't know if you want to start with the, the uh, lowering of the quality of what people are buying or the upcoming holiday season. What do you think? We can start with the fact that we're seeing uh, uh, inventories not go up at all. They're basically declining because there's this, there's nobody buying in the future. And then how does that relate to stronger sales at auto dealers? Well, the auto dealers is a different story, Tony. I think what you're seeing is probably a one-month anomaly and also what we call uh, pre-demand. So when things get worse, when people think prices are going to go up, they go in and say, I better buy it now rather than buy it later. So what you see there, Tony, is a little bit of concern that inflation isn't under control because core inflation actually last month went up, Tony. It went up to 5.3%. Core inflation went up. So what you see is a consumer saying, hey, I better buy it now before it gets more expensive next month. But that doesn't address what the shift in consumers, Tony. We also see a shift from people buying high-end goods going to lower-end establishments like Costco, like Walmart. So those people are seeing an increase in sales. The higher brands are seeing a decrease. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And to to further that point, uh, the CNBC uh, survey showed that middle price point items like jackets 
are dominating the early holiday order activity. Less than 20% of the orders are high-end items, which translates to little Johnny and little Sally still need a jacket so they can go to school and not be cold. But we're going to hold off on buying another big screen TV. Tony, let me, people may be wondering why we're talking about holiday sales you know, in June. The reason is because the, and the retailers are anticipating what's going to happen. So it's a really good leading indicator because they must place their orders now for the holiday season. And we're seeing that they're decreasing their orders. You mentioned it. Inventories are anticipated to decline based on the current orders, and they're shifting to lower um, items rather than high-value items. But they're also shifting in terms of a lack, right? They're not producing as much because they don't see the buying. So the credit crunch, we, even if they wanted to expand, they wouldn't be able to get the money to expand. And there's nothing to expand to because nobody's going to be buying in bulk in the large amounts of those items. These would all be indicators that this economy is heading in a bad direction. Yet all I hear from the White House, they were bragging about how inflation was down. But inflation is not down, Tony. That's, a, that's an absolute lie. Core inflation, when you remove the highly volatile instruments of energy and food. And by the way, energy is down because we're heading into a recession, Tony. So they like to brag about the fact that we're heading into a recession. What insanity is that? The reality is, Tony, that core inflation went up unexpectedly last month, 5.3%. The market's not happy about it. So you take a look at this thing about auto sales being up 0.3%, and it doesn't take you away from those thoughts on credit crunch. It's an anomaly. People got stuff in while they could, before it's too late, while they still had a dollar. The market that initially went down the other day after Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, said we're not going to raise interest rates, then went up. At one moment, it was up 300 points. So the question is, again, with the market being an indicator, is it really an indicator of anything? Very often we talked about the idea that that the market has already baked in these situations. The market's baked Tony. in the idea that that production is flat, that the manufacturers aren't manufacturing, and now the retailers are saying, oh, crap, this is going to be bad. No, Tony, let me tell you exactly what it means. And I, I try to explain this to my students all the time. When the market goes down a lot, it's bad. When the market goes up a lot, it's also bad. Why? That doesn't make sense. Because it's called volatility, Tony. Standard deviation. When the market shoots up and shoots down, that's risk. Risk is volatility. Risk is when things fluctuate. We have a thing called VIX, V-I-X. People should look it up. It's called the fear index. The fear index is very high right now, Tony. So when you see the market shoot up 300% and down 400 points all in the same day, that is risk. That is not a good thing. We want less risk, not more risk. There's a fear index? Yes. It's a, it's, it, that's, the, uh, that's the pejorative phrase for it. It's called the volatility index, V-I-X. It measures the fear. Well, it measures standard. There's a nerdy definition, Tony. You don't care about it. So the pejorative phrase is it's the fear index. Okay, the volatility index, known as the VIX, takes a reading of the stock market's blood pressure, measuring investors' fear. You're saying that investors are afraid, but I need you to define investors. We're talking about people like me, people like, like, yeah. like you know, just, just investing in a stock here and there, or are we talking yeah. about the big funds making multi-billion dollar purchases? Both. Both, Tony. 
It's the professional investor, it's the, it's the retail investor, and it's everyone in between. The uh, uh, volatility index, by the way, it says 14.25, down a, a, a quarter point. As I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it from the other day. But there have been moments it's up at 33. Give me a difference between those numbers. What do those mean to me? It's it's actually a measure of what we call standard deviation. If you go back to your high school high school statistics, don't make class. me do that. Four, don't you dare make me go back to high school. Well, well, I, I know that's that's when you were. I don't know if you were the cool kid or the bullied kid, but either <laughs> one, Tony. High school is not doesn't doesn't bring back the fond memories, does it? But fourteen percent actually isn't bad. Thirty three percent is disastrous. Um, when Trump was in office, it was floating around ten, which is a much 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 better number than what we have right now. And you can't look at it a week ago. You got to look at it right now because it's, it's a snapshot in time. It's constantly changing second to second. Yeah. And that's what gets fascinating because right now I'm, I'm looking at this. I think I'm looking at it right. And it's like 14 and a half. And so I'm yep. saying they don't look like people who are afraid. So I'm, I, I, but, but you see it. And based on these indicators as they are looking at what's coming and the fear is here. We, we just don't see it yet. No, no, Tony. Right now, at this moment in the market, this very second, the market says, okay, there's moderate risk. But the other day, when Jerome Powell made his announcement, the risk shot up. It was very high. So it's constantly changing. It reads, literally, it reads the pulse of the market. The, we are going to see this fear. Is, is it, that, is that what we see when the manufacturers say we're not producing? Is that what we see when the retailers say we expect down? Or is there another indicator, something else out there, that if you watch that, you're very big on the producer price index, the PPI, the idea of actually producing the stuff that, that we buy. Is there something else to be looking at as an indicator of, oh, this is a problem? Well, oh, Tony, let me, let me not let people misinterpret the VIX. If it's low, 14%, that doesn't mean things are good. Or 10%, that doesn't mean things are good. It just means there's no uncertainty. It's the uncertainty that causes that number to go up. If we are certain there's going to be a recession and everyone agrees and there's no dispute, that number will go down. That doesn't mean it's positive. It just means, okay, we know things are going to be bad. It's a fact. That is right so now, the unknown. That is so wholly damn counterintuitive and yet makes so much sense. We're certain things are going to hit the crapper. Like that's a, that's, that's, that's crazy town. That doesn't seem to make sense. You would think that it would go the, the, the other way and we would see it if, if we're understanding this VIX properly in big number. Your argument is no, this is about certitude that things are going in a bad direction. Is there another indicator that you look at that, that adds on to this proof? Well, Tony, it's a combination and, the reason I brought up the VIX is because it's a measure of certainty. It's the fear, it's the risk, and it's moderate right now. But combining with what you told me earlier, and that is that we have this consumer or the inventories that are declining, the holiday season ordering is slowing. Those are, we now certain, we have that data. That is certain. We know that that is happening. That's a fact. So those facts cause the VIX to go down but not for a good reason. Yeah, the, the story came from Bloomberg News. U.S. factory production remains sluggish in May, suggesting manufacturers are growing cautious in the face of tepid global demand and equipment spending. We talk often about focusing on the United States, uh, but we know that the European Central Bank raised rates by a quarter point. They're still trying to deal with this inflation issue. Uh, on the world stage, 
is is this global recession or is this limited to certain sectors, certain areas, certain countries? Okay, well, let's not have an opinion. Let's say facts. Fact. Europe just went into a recession two weeks ago. Fact. China came in about half of what the forecasted GDP growth for the country was. Fact. Global orders are down. I don't know. Is that global recession? I'll let you define it. Yeah, and we all know that China lies. So when they say they're down half, it's it's very possible they're down much much further uh, than that. Um, you have you and I have discussed. Do you spend your money now, or do you put your money in a money market now? And there was a time where you're like, no, buy things because your cash will be worth less later. The last time we spoke, you reminded people that money markets were at five percent, and I said, full disclosure, that a couple weeks before you had brought that up, I I moved money out of out of a bank and put it into a, a, a money market because it was much better uh, return for me. And those six-month treasuries are still even paying higher, and they're paying higher uh, than, than the 10-year treasuries for sure. Are you still in the money market and hold it world? Not that you give investment advice on this show, but just as a concept? Or are you in the you better buy the things you need now before it's too late world? Okay, okay based on the last time we spoke, Tony, my opinion has shifted a little bit. It shifted because of the data that you just presented, that consumers are buying now in anticipation of things getting worse. So add that to the equation, but it's still better to have a 5% six-month investment than it is to go out and purchase a bunch of assets. If you need the asset, buy it now. If you don't need it, put put it in a 5% investment. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. That's where you find him on Twitter. Be sure to follow him. Sir, I always appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I'm angry. Um, The country is going to go through tumult as a result of one thing. President Trump didn't turn over military documents, but he was asked to do so. All he had to do was hand them in. I'm sure his counsel told him, hand the documents in, particularly when the subpoena came. But for some reason, he decided not to. He held on to them. Why? That's the question. Why is the country going to have to go through all this angst and tumult? Why did he just turn the documents in? Thank goodness Mitt Romney is on the case. Holy hell. Who decided to interview him? Oh, it was MSNBC. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Tony. Oh, oh I, can, I can hear your disgust all the way from here, guys. I can hear it. Maybe, you know what? I should apologize. I should not have played Mitt Romney. There should have been a trigger warning or something. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize for subjecting you to it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Um, why didn't he just turn them in? Well, who says he had to? Mitt Romney's on the wrong side of the conversation. Who said he had to? Some government group says you have to turn him in. He was the president of the United States. He's like, no, no, I don't. That's what the lawsuit is saying that he had to turn him in. That's what a defense is going to say. He didn't have to turn him in. And that's what the case is. Mitt Romney's point of view is one that is Holy skewed. But if, if, if we're going to say all you had to do, all you had to do was tell Candy Crowley to shut up and that she was wrong. 
That's all you had to do, and you would have been president. Obama would have had one term, and there would be no Donald Trump conversation. If you had just told Candy Crowley to shut it and that she was full of crap and stop campaigning for Obama while you're pretending to moderate a debate, stop being such a liar. If you had been willing after that first debate to put Barack Obama in the trunk, if you had been willing to fight back at all, if you weren't interested in being such a gentleman and looking good in your suit, and you were willing to throw an elbow when one was thrown your way, you'd be known as President Romney today. They'd be talking about where they're going to build your library. Will it be in Massachusetts or will it be in Utah? Who knows? Will they serve coffee there? Probably not. Which, by the way, is fine. Mormons don't drink caffeine. They don't drink caffeine. That's Everyone's got a thing. Jews don't eat pork. So, you know, everyone's got their thing. But don't you sit here and say he should have done this. All he had to do was do that. That's nonsense. That's their narrative. Why is that your narrative? When uh, we should also say that's not true. And this is Trump's argument. Are we now going to suggest that he doesn't have an argument? He didn't have a say. He didn't have a choice. He had to be compelled to. He isn't saying that, hey, I was the president of the United States. I declassified these things. No defense. What are you, Hillary Clinton? The, the other guy doesn't deserve a defense? Oh, I don't know how many Republicans are running against Mitt Romney for the primary for Senate in Utah, but it better be all of them. Don't let that guy back in the Senate. Don't let him near the Senate. What a nonsense statement. Really and truly. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Today.